Section three of Harper's Young People, Volume one, Issue three, November eighteenth, eighteen seventy nine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine G. Harper's Young People, Volume One, Issue Three, November eighteenth, eighteen seventy nine. A gigantic jellyfish. Few excursions can be proposed more acceptable to young folks than going a fishing, and perhaps the most delightful sort of fishing is to be had by accompanying some old fishermen out into the broad ocean. There are many circumstances that contribute to make a day's sport of this kind more enjoyable than pond or river fishing, and not the least of these consists in the wonderful variety of the creature to be caught. In our inland streams and lakes in any given locality, the kinds of fish to be caught are well known, and, comparatively speaking, there are not many different sorts. But in ocean fishing the oldest fishermen, and those most accustomed to the sort of fish generally found in their fishing grounds, every once in a while happen upon a creatures, the likes of which have seldom, perhaps never, been seen before. Only a short time since a Nantucket fisherman, rowing slowly along, buried the prow of his boat in some partly yielding substance that brought him to a standstill. Somewhat startled, he went forward, oar in hand, to find his little craft embedded in the body of an enormous jellyfish, the largest ever seen. The soft and yielding body of the creature offered so little resistance to his oar when he tried to push off, and he saw himself so hopelessly entangled in the mass of slime and tentacles, that, instead of attempting to free himself, he determined to tow it ashore which he did by passing a sailcloth under its body and rowing slowly homeward. Of course the rough encounter with the boat had considerably mutilated the jellyfish, and torn away portions of the long thread-like processes or tentacles that hang from the central mass. Yet these, when the creature was laid along the sand of the ocean beach, measured over two hundred feet in length, and in its conjecture that, uninjured and stretched to their utmost length, they could not have been less than three hundred feet long. The great shield-like body of the animal was found to be over nine feet in diameter, two feet more than the largest heretofore known, which is described by Professor Agassiz, who measured it while it was floating lazily on the surface of the water. The specimen was so large that the professor feared his account of it might be considered exaggerated. The monster, when alive, looks as much as anything like an immense circular plate or dish of glass floating bottom upward on the sea. The colour of the body is a brownish-red, with a rather broad margin of creamy white edged with blue, while the tentacles—pink, blue, brown, and purple—hang like skeins of coloured glass threads from the under part of the shield. Very beautiful are these threads, glistening with a silky lustre beneath the waves, but they are extremely dangerous too. Each of these threads, in fact, contains myriad of cells, in each one of which is coiled up ready to be darted forth on contact with any living substance, a whip-like lance finer than the finest cambric needle. Millions of these things entering at once cause a sensation like that of a violent electric shock, paralyzing and often killing the creature with which they come in contact. The gigantic creature grows from the small one, called a hydroid, represented in the small cut. You see the hydroid does not in the least resemble a jellyfish. Perhaps the strangest thing about these wonderful lumps of animated jelly is that their young are not jellyfishes at all, but an entirely different sort of animals. Sometimes they take the shape of a pile of platters, 
which finally separate and become individual jellyfish. Sometimes they grow into living plants which bear eggs like fruit, which eggs hatch and finally become jellyfish. No fairy tale can afford instances of transformation so surprising as do these animals, more like animated bubbles than anything else to which they can be compared. Transparent and exhibiting the most brilliant colours, they dissolve away when stranded so completely that no trace of their substance seems to remain. THE FIRST DROP OF BITTERNESS Come, little one, open your mouth. I know it is bitter to drink. But if you'll stop squirming and squalling, you'll have it all down in a wink. The poor little baby is sick, and this is to cure the bad pain. So swallow the medicine, darling, and soon you can frolic again. How glad should we be who are older, and have bitter burdens to bear, to find out some wonderful doctor, with cures for each sorrow and care. At the bottom of a mine. Years ago some Welsh miners, in exploring an old pit that had been long closed, found the body of a young man dressed in a fashion long out of date. The peculiar action of the air of the mine had been such as to preserve the body so perfectly that it appeared asleep rather than dead. The miners were puzzled at the circumstance, no one in the district had been missed within their remembrance, and at last it was resolved to bring the oldest inhabitant, an old lady, long past her eighteenth year, who had lived single in the village the whole of her life. On being brought into the presence of the body, a strange scene occurred. The old lady fell on the corpse, kissed and addressed it by every term of loving endearment, couched in the quaint language of a bygone generation. He was her only love, she had waited for him during her long life, she knew that he had not forsaken her. The old woman and the young man had been betrothed sixty years before. The lover had disappeared mysteriously, and she had kept faithfully during that long interval. Time had stood still with the dead man, but had left its mark on the living woman. The miners who were present were a rough set, but very gently, and with tearful eyes, they removed the old lady to her house, and the same night her faithful spirit rejoined that of her long-lost lover. End of section 3